0: Okay, it's just a week after Holiday Bible Club, so in the spirit, in the spirit of Holiday Bible Club, I thought I would start with a quiz. Okay, start with a quiz. Okay, so let's two teams down the middle. One t- team, team one, team two. Okay, right? <laughs> All the enthusiasm, it's overwhelming. Okay, so two teams. What I want to do, what I want to show you, I want to show you some pictures. Pictures of. Uh, the children of famous celebrities, who I think bear an, un- ah, I see all your OK reading, OK magazine reading, so come and go to come into, uh, here's uh, the value of it. Uh, so the children of famous celebrities, who I think bear an uncanny resemblance to their parents, and I'm wondering, just by looking at the child, can you guess who uh, the parent is? Okay, Kate, let's go for it. Okay, team, team one. David Beckham, okay, so let's start easy. That's Brooklyn, so there's David Beckham, okay. And the next one, okay. Okay, who's that? It's Jaden Will Smith's son, okay, next. Okay, one-one. Okay, team number one, tricky, tricky. It's easy when you see it, but it's tricky. Anyone, anyone want to guess? Sorry? Oh, right, uh, it is Jennifer Garner is her mum, uh, daughter of Ben Affleck. Well done, Ruth. (laughs) Worrying Ruth. There you go. Okay. Team two, right? Okay. Team two. Madonna's daughter. That's Lourdes. Yes. Lourdes Leon. Okay. Next. So two, two. Team one. Whose daughter's that? Cindy Crawford's daughter, absolutely. That's Kaya Garber, I think's her name. Okay, next, team two. I think this one's easy. Obviously, you don't. But uh, anyone, team two. Uma Thurman is her mum. See. Okay, next. Katie Holmes, that's a little uh, Miss Cruz. Next, team two. Tom Hanks, brilliant, brilliant. Uh, Tricky one, team one, tricky one. Is the last one? No, not Kate Moss. One more go. Apple, brilliant, well done. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, uh, thank you, Michael. That's worrying. Okay, last one, last one. Okay, who do you think this lady, this girl's mother, might be? Reese Witherspoon. Well done. That's worrying. Did you got all those? Bar one. Okay, so I think Team One was the winners there. Well done, Team One. Okay. Uh, Let's put on the beatitude, let's throw up the verse this week. Let's throw up the verse this week. There was a point in all that. (laughs) Please indulge me. Uh, The point of all, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. They will be called children of God. Uh, In each of those uh, famous examples, I think you were able to see a resemblance of the parent in the child and identify the parent. And that is something of what is going on in today's Beatitudes. We've been looking at the Beatitudes over the past few weeks. The Beatitudes are are how Jesus introduces his uh, famous sermon on the Mount. He calls his disciples aside from the crowd. Uh, And the Beatitudes are not how you get into his kingdom, how you become one of his people, as if by being a little bit more uh, sorrowful for your sin, a little bit more merciful or meek, you might get make the grade and get in. No, no. Uh, these are eight characteristics that begin to grow in someone who has come to know the Lord Jesus, someone who has uh, put their trust in him. Four public or for private attitudes towards God, the first four, and then for public attitudes towards other people that begin to grow and mark Christians, those who are genuine followers of the Lord Jesus, mark them out as different from the world uh, around us. Um, And as we come to this one, we see that this one comes with a wonderful promise. Blessed are the peacemakers, those who have an attitude to make peace, pursue peace in their relationships. They will be called children of God. And that little word called uh, in the original language is really very significant. It's this, it's this idea, not just they'll be labeled children of God, but they will be recognized, acknowledged as children of God, recognized and acknowledged as children of God, when we exhibit this peacemaking attitude uh, towards others, we will be recognized acknowledged as children of God. We will bear something of the family resemblance that 's the idea that 's going on here now, who will recognize us? who will acknowledge us as children of god well that 's open to debate. It could be that other people will recognize. God's nature, his character in us, um, as they begin to see us flexing to make peace with others, that they might be intrigued and attracted to the, the character of God that is reflected in us, that, that's perfectly possible. But I actually think what's more likely is that God himself will acknowledge us as his children. When we more and more bear the family resemblance, I think that's the idea. Um, If you are a parent, um, you will have the worrying, increasingly worrying experience of beginning to see your reflection in your children. Uh, That's quite a scary thing, Uh, and in my case, I'm beginning to see even now. some of my many faults been reflected in my son Uh, but it's also a lovely thing as well it's a lovely thing uh, as you see uh, loves and uh, desires that you have reflected in your children Uh, you know when you see them read a book that you know you read and loved at their age that's lovely uh, when they share your love of the great outdoors, when they also support the same football team that you support it 's lovely that 's lovely, lovely um, but there's moments, isn't there 's moments isn 't there there 's moments when uh, i don 't know if you ever had this experience, maybe as a child uh, if you 're if, if not a parent, where you have said something, done something, had some facial expression. Where your mum and your dad has said, or mum or dad has said, "That's my boy," "That's my girl," you know, and it's thrilled you. It's thrilled you when that's happened, because I think I realise in a crowd this size, there's 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 some of us who've had troubled relationships with our parents. It's not been easy. It's been difficult. Um, But for many, many of us, when we were young, we wanted to be just like mum. We wanted to be just like dad, and so. To, be, to hear that they think we're becoming like them Well that's, that's lovely, It's that's thrilling uh, And that is the idea that is going on then in this passage When we are peacemakers When we are peacemakers It's as if our heavenly father says That's my boy That's my girl He finds delight and pleasure in us Is not a lovely thought What I want to do then over these next uh, few minutes is to look at a few of the misconceptions around peace. Uh, I want us to consider uh, the model peacemaker and then lastly the meaning. Of being a peacemaker for us. What does that look like in practice? Um, I guess before we dive into that, it's, it's worth mentioning that this is maybe the only beatitude of the whole list, if you've got Matthew 5 in front of you. This is maybe the only attitude or the, the, the only beatitude that actually makes sense to a watching world. If anyone who's not a Christian, who has no contact with Christianity really, no contact with the church, and they were to eavesdrop on us reading this list blessed are those who mourn blessed are the merciful blessed are the meek that doesn't make any that's (laughs) makes no sense whatsoever but blessed are the peacemakers well look who doesn't want peace everybody wants peace don't they we even have a, a a prize a nobel peace prize for, for anyone who makes a significant contribution in resolving conflict and hostility between others, we're all for peace, aren't we? But when we look at this in a little bit more detail, we begin to see that actually what Jesus means by peace and what the world means by peace are actually not the same. They're not, they're not the same. And so we need to listen carefully. That takes us to our first idea, some misconceptions around peace. I need to say first what peace is not. What peace is not? The first thing I need to say is that peace is not the absence of activity. Peace is not the absence of activity. Um, I don't know if you ever come across them. There's a series of children's books about the large family. Uh, they're about a family of, of elephants, uh, and uh, there's one story about uh, Mrs. Elephant looking to get some peace. You know, So she makes her favorite breakfast uh, and is sitting down to enjoy it. And then the kids run in and she can't get a moment's peace. Uh, so she decides that she'll run a big bubble bath. Uh, and she runs her bath and is about to get in when Mr. Large comes in. And he has to, he has to use uh, to shave or whatever it is, the bathroom. Just at that moment, she can't get a moment's peace. Isn't that why we normally think? Peace and quiet. Peace is the, the absence of activity. Well, no, peace is more, much more than that uh, in the Bible. But secondly, peace is not just the absence of activity, but neither is it the absence of violence and war. Peace is not just a ceasefire. They're not, they not the same. In fact, sometimes you need to create strife in order to really find true peace. Because thirdly, peace is not just the appeasement of warring parties. You know, there's some people who um, will do their level best to avoid all conflict all the time. They will accommodate anyone, even if that means putting up with huge irritation and inconvenience and sometimes even injustice. Anything for a quiet life. That is not what the Bible means by peace. It's not the absence of activity or the absence of war and violence. It's not just appeasement of warring parties. Uh, Peace is not the absence of something bad. It's actually more positive than that. It's the presence of something good. I came across uh, this definition by Cornelius Plantinga. He says when Jesus uses the word peace, in fact, anywhere in the New Testament where the word peace is used, it's picking up this rich Old Testament Hebrew idea of shalom. Shalom. And shalom then he defines as the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. We call it Peace, but it means far more than mere peace of mind. It means universal flourishing, universal wholeness and delight. So in the same way that love is not just the absence of hate and swimming is not just the absence of drowning, in the same way p- peace is not just the absence of something bad, it's the presence of something good. It expresses the ideas of contentment, well-being, wholeness, joy, harmony and relationships. Shalom then is the enjoyment, relationships working properly, and the enjoyment of those relationships. We mean something more, much, much bigger and more beautiful than what we normally mean when we use the English word peace. Some misconceptions then about peace. We do not mean peace of mind, we mean shalom. But then that takes us secondly to the model peacemaker, the model peacemaker. Five times in the New Testament, God is called the God of peace, the God of peace. Uh, He is the God of shalom, he is the God who has experienced true shalom from all eternity. He has known relationships working properly and the enjoyment of those relationships since eternity past. As Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they've been, He's enjoyed perfect, harmonious, mutually delighting relationships uh, as a triune God. He is the God of Shalom. And so when Jesus is predicted, the coming of the Messiah is predicted in a passage we read almost every Christmas uh, in Isaiah 9, verse 6, uh, we read uh, of him being described the coming Messiah, the, the baby to be born, uh, the, the rescuing, ruling king. He's described as the Prince of Peace. Uh, similarly, at Christmas time, when the angels announce the birth of the baby boy, what do they sing? They sing, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to those on whom his favor dwells. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Now that doesn't mean that he's found in the days of walking in the Middle East he found the secret to inner tranquility. No, 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 no. It's this idea that he has enjoyed from all eternity the the mutually delighting shalom relationships uh, with Father and Holy Spirit and he now will give it, bring it to those who don't have peace. So I'm surprising then, as um, the, the fruit of the Spirit is described, uh, one of the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, part of the fruit of the Spirit is peace. Peace. God is the God of peace. In fact, someone has described uh, the whole story of the Bible as the story of war and peace. Uh, God, at the very beginning, the, the, the God of peace, we're told that he created us to be his image bearers, and to enjoy a relationship of harmony and delight with him. That's what the seventh day of creation describes in the book of Genesis. Rest, joy, harmonious relationships that we were designed to share in. But our first parents, in their foolishness, uh, in their disobedience, decided to reject their creator uh, to live with themselves as king uh, and rule their own little world. Uh, they rejected God, became alienated from him, became enemies of him in their minds. Uh, and not only were they, did they spoil their relationship with God, but even in Genesis chapter 3, we see not only are they kicked out of the garden, their relationship with God is broken, but we see them turn in and fight against each other. It was her fault, it was his fault, it was the snake's fault relationships are spoiled we know peace has been shattered peace has been shattered we're designed for peace but it's been shattered Uh, in fact Paul can go so far as to describe the default setting so when you get a human out of the factory uh, this is the default setting that it comes with we too were foolish disobedient deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures we lived in malice and envy being hated, and hating one another. You may think that's very grim. That's a very grim description of the human uh, condition. But I want to suggest that, that actually both history and experience confirms that being a fair and correct assessment. I was just reading this week uh, a New York Times article that said this. The past 3,400 years of human history have been, human beings have been entirely at peace for only 268 of them. That's 8% of recorded history. Someone has gone on to say that actually peace in human history is just the pause to reload. I think that's pretty accurate, isn't it? So the century, 20th century sorry, was the bloodiest ever, with 38 million people killed in world War, I, world War I. And then only a few years later, 60 million people killed in World War II. And then we had Vietnam, and then we had the Korean War, uh, and then we had the Falklands, and then we had the Gulf War. Uh, then we have had scores and scores of civil wars all over the world. Uh, And at a very rough estimate, it's guessed that over 108 million people were killed in the 20th century just due to war alone. Lives cut short because we live in malice, envy, being hated, and hating one another. We can see it on a global scale, but look, if we're totally honest, don't we see it on a personal scale, a small scale too, even in the best of our families? Loving, caring families. Don't brothers and sisters and siblings squabble? Aren't there arguments, often heated arguments, between parents and children? Peace has been shattered. I don't think there's a person in this room who can honestly, honestly not point to at least one relationship in their life that is dysfunctional. At best, broken at worst. Isn't Paul's assessment not true for us all? Isn't it? Isn't it? But wonderfully, the story of the Bible is the story of war and peace. War and peace. Uh, God has shown himself to be the great peacemaker. Which takes us to the passage that Michael read for us from Colossians. Uh, it's a long passage And we don't have time to go into all the details now. Um, David Luke preached on this passage uh, a few months ago. If you want to think some more about it, the the talk is on the website, and he'll guide you through that. I just want to pick out a couple of ideas just very quickly. Notice how Jesus is described. Paul is speaking about Jesus, describes him as the Son, Son of God. Uh, The Son is the image of the invisible God. God is invisible, but if you want, as you were, Jesus makes the invisible God visible to us. You want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. And what does he reveal? He's not just just a chip off the old block either. If we go on to the next slide, Kate. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Or as chapter 2 verse 9 puts it, for in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. Jesus perfectly reveals what God is like in every way. He is the, the, bears the perfect fatherly resemblance. He's the perfect son. And what does he reveal then, verse 20? What does he reveal about God? Well, he reveals ultimately that God is a peacemaker. Because what does he do? Uh, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And that means that Jesus wasn't just a peace lover. Jesus wasn't just a peace lover, someone who talked about peace. Jesus wasn't just a peace keeper, someone who avoided violence and avoided conflict in every way. No, no, Jesus was a peacemaker. He was a peacemaker. He took the initiative. He took the initiative. He exposed conflict, dealt with it head on, uh, and died, gave his life in order to make peace and to reconcile us to God, to repair that shattered peace, to repair that broken relationship uh, that we have. We didn't earn it. We could never deserve peace with God. But by Jesus taking the penalty on himself on the cross, our death sentence, he took on the cross for us in our place so that he can offer us the gift of reconciliation with God as a free, a free gift. He came to bring us peace with God. He came to bring us peace with God. That was his purpose. But more than that, he not only came to bring us peace with God, he came to bring us peace peace with one another, peace with one another. And that's the second reading that I got Michael to read uh, this morning. Um, In Ephesians 2, Paul writes, For he himself is our peace, and who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both to the, both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. In the ancient world, one of the deepest, the most bitter divides uh, that there was was the division between Jews and Gentiles. In fact, the Jews historically had hundreds and hundreds of rules about food and about access to the temple that all served to exclude anyone that was not a Jew. It was like a big barrier. You're not welcome to join us. Um, But Paul is saying that it was Jesus' purpose to build a brand new community, a brand new community who would have access to God all on the same terms every one of us, on exactly the same terms. Irrelevant, your performance is irrelevant, your background is irrelevant. The only thing that's relevant for you to know God and become part of his family, to have access to him, is faith in the Lord Jesus, trusting in what he has done for you. And because we all come in this new community on the same terms, there is absolutely no room Anymore for prejudice or for discrimination in any way. Discrimination based on gender, on age, on race, on background, on socioeconomic standing. All of those things, to a large degree, are irrelevant. Do you see how Jesus begins to make peace between us? Because as we are reconciled to God... By grace, we are brought into his family. And so, if we can call God our father, then that means we must call one another brother and sister. Brother and sister. Jesus' purpose was to make peace between one another. Do you see how Jesus is the model peacemaker? And as the model peacemaker, he reveals what God is like, that God is the perfect peacemaker. Jesus is not just a peace lover or a peace keeper, but, but in Jesus we see how God is the perfect peacemaker. I suspect that for those of you who have been coming along to church for a while, you know all of that. You know all of that. But so what? What, is that? what does it mean then for us to be peacemakers? If we are to bear the family resemblance, what is it going to look like for us to be peacemakers? How do we do that? Well, Again, I think there are three areas, if we are following the model of Jesus, three areas in which we, like him, are to be peacemakers, take the initiative, roll up our sleeves and do something on this. And the first is persuading others to make peace with God. Persuading others to make peace with God. Most people are not aware that there's a war going on. Uh, And it's not actually the war on terror. That's not the main war that's going on. The main war that's going on is that, according to the Bible, we are all, in our hearts, naturally hostile to God. We ignore him, and we reject his loving rule in our lives. We want to live for ourselves and our own way. Uh, Often, people are oblivious to this hostility uh, they are happy just to politely ignore God. It doesn't feel too hostile. But nevertheless, the Bible describes human beings. Are, again, our default setting is one of hostility to God. But the, cor- the truth is then, if we are hostile to God, then naturally we are all on a collision course with God. All of us. And so Paul then describes um, the Christian's task in this way, in 2 Corinthians 5. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view for God who reconciled to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We are no longer to view people from a worldly point of view. So as you look around your neighborhood, as you look around the office, as you look around the school, at the school gate, as you look around at the hospital, You're not meant to think those people are healthy and wealthy and they seem to have satisfying relationships, therefore they're fine. In fact, maybe they're even to be envied. That would be to look at people in a worldly way. We're to look at people and be mindful that many of them, although outwardly they look like they've got, got it all together, they're on a collision course with God. And we have been given the job of telling them that, there's, that they can lay down their weapons. They can know peace and joy and harmony with him and true fulfillment and joy that those things are available. But we are called then to take the initiative to plead and persuade people. Not nag people. Get to know them get to respect them, answer their questions, and with gentleness and wisdom, tell them about the Jesus that we know and what he has done for us and how he can do the same for them. And the truth is then when God sees our longing, when God sees our longing that people be reconciled to him, when he hears our prayers for them and sees our willingness to risk to risk ridicule and rejection, um, to speak to Christ, of Christ to them, he will say, that's my boy. That's my girl. We are to persuade others to make peace with God. That's what being a peacemaker means. Being a peacemaker then secondly means practicing peace in the church, practicing peace in the church. If Jesus really did die, and part of his purpose, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, was to create a community where peace is showcased, where old divisions are broken down uh, in terms of uh, age and gender uh, and economic standing, where we were all on a level playing field where we all love and serve one another we are to practice peace in the church practice peace in the church however if you've been about this church or any church for that matter for any period of time you will know you will know that Christians don't always agree that's a fact Christians don't always agree And more than that, it's not that we just politely disagree. Often we heatedly disagree. In fact, often we irritate each other. In fact, often we offend and hurt each other. And so Paul, how on earth are we to practice peace in a church family? Well, again, Paul goes on to explain both the need and the means of doing that in Ephesians a little later, in Ephesians 4, uh, verse 3, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I think Paul is just refreshingly, uh, in a world of spin, uh, Paul is just refreshingly honest, isn't he? It is going to require effort, hard work, if we are to maintain peace and harmony in a church family. It's going to require hard work. Here's how we do it. Verse 2. By being first completely humble. Being completely humble. Here's the first step. How on earth can you bear with someone else who's so irritating or someone who's offended you or been insensitive or rude to you? How on earth could you bear with that? Well, the first thing is to remember humbly... God has forgiven the unforgivable in you. God has forgiven the unforgivable in me. And as we remember that, we are more inclined to forgive the unforgivable in one another, aren't we? And then we're to consider others' needs over our own. See, the truth is, I am not the most important person in this room. My preferences are not the most important Uh, and that have to be listened to uh, and everyone else has to flex to me. No, that would be ungodly. Jesus considered the needs of others above his own. We then are to start by being completely humble, by being gentle. See, the enormous temptation is when someone says something hurtful or insulting is to bite back and retaliate. Uh, Paul says, resist that urge. Uh, Don Carson uh, the, the writer has said this. The peacemaker always fears generating more heat than light. He will learn to lower his voice and smile more broadly in proportion to the intensity of the argument. <laughs> That's lovely, isn't it? Uh, to lower his voice and smile more broadly in proportion to the intensity of the argument. We are to be humble, be gentle. Be patient, be patient. Um, the Apostle James puts it like this in chapter 1. You should, not be, you should be quick to listen, uh, but slow to speak and slow to become angry. Slow to speak and slow to become angry. For someone who's a speaker, uh, I find that very difficult. Actually, what can help the most is to say nothing to say nothing least least said easiest mended uh, the old proverb puts it be patient with each other and then bear with one another in love there are times when your kindness will be taken for granted, there will be times when people do say things that are rude and insensitive and unkind and we are to respond with grace and forgiveness Again, Paul's very honest. None of that is easy. None of that is easy. But as we practice peace, well, none of us will perfect it, but as we practice peace in our church family, we will begin to reflect the character of God and we will make the message of peace more believable and more beautiful to a watching world. How, do we, uh, how are we peacemakers? We need to persuade others to find peace with God. We need to practice peace in the church. And then lastly, pursue peace in the world. Pursue peace in the world. We live in a world where there's all sorts of very deep, very bitter divisions, where there's cruelty and hatred and injustice and greed uh, and envy and prejudice. We are to be those people in our families, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our nation where we are to strive for peace, to strive for peace, to strive to mend relationships that are damaged, uh, to build understanding, to stand up for justice, uh, and to be those who encourage what is good and right and true. But, of course, this will be costly. This will be costly. And so this naturally leads on to the last beatitude, doesn't it? Blessed are the persecuted. We're going to look at that in a few weeks' time when we come back to a Sunday on the persecuted church. But it's worth bearing in mind just even now worth mentioning that often trying to be a peacemaker will be unsuccessful in this world. Paul can say, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with other people in Romans uh, 14. Um, it will not always be possible, but we are to be those people who strive for it. But what happens when we meet conflict and opposition uh, and rejection and ridicule, when we try to persuade people to find peace with God, when we stand up for, and pursue peace in our world? Well, Jesus goes on to talk about it uh, later on in chapter 5. In fact, the, the very last paragraph Uh, In chapter 5 of Matthew where he says and calls us to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. uh, That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Again, notice the logic. What is God like? God is someone who shows kindness to those who reject him. Do the same. Do the same. Show kindness to those who uh, have mistreated you um, in any way. Take practical steps to bless them. Again, that is where it's what Jesus is saying is so countercultural and so shocking. And then second thing, not only are we to take practical steps to bless those who mistreat us, we are to pray for those who mistreat us. Uh, And the logic seems to run like this. It is impossible for you to harbor hatred and bitterness and resentment in your heart for someone you consistently pray for. If you don't believe me, I dare you to try it. To harbor bitterness and resentment in your heart for someone you consistently pray for. Praying for their good. In this one little beatitude, our time is gone. In this one little beatitude, we see that God is a peacemaker. He is the the God of peace, the prince of peace, the one who gives the gift of peace. He loves peace. And when we persuade other people to find peace with God, when we practice peace in our church family, when we pursue peace in the world we actually are reflecting our father's image and we will hear him say, that's my boy, that's my girl. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Let me pray. Let's take a moment just in silence, perhaps even to confess uh, a re- an area, a relationship where there's, where there's not been peace, where peace has eluded us, uh, where we've given into bitterness, resentment, anger, hatred, to confess that, ask for God's help with that relationship, to thank God for the peace that he's given us when we didn't deserve it, and to pray that he would enable us to be peacemakers where he's placed us. Let's take a moment in silence.